Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What's the actual nature of ghosts? Do, quote, electronic voice phenomena, unquote, actually convey the voices of dead people? Can ghost hunting be dangerous? Hello and welcome to the 880th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and we are coming to you live from WOON AM and FM Radio uh, in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app, from TalkStream Live, and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those capricious questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you two new guests to tackle some of the oldest questions about the supernatural. And if you'd like to join us on the air, you can give us a call, 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Pamela Nance and Ashley Field are a mother-stepdaughter paranormal research team with, one could say, some rather haunting parallels with Ben and myself. I even think we're roughly the same ages. I don't know. Uh, Pamela is an archaeologist and anthropologist by training uh, with additional degrees in religion and sociology. Uh, She is retired from Wake Forest University School of Medicine following a 30-year career in public health and biostatistical sciences and clinical trial research. Gee, I think they would have reactivated you at this point with Mm. what's going on. Anyway, she was also a seasoned investigator in the survival of consciousness after death, a trained healing touch practitioner, past life regressionist, and hypnotherapist. I have a special question on that hypnotherapist uh, uh, aspect, too. Uh, Her stepdaughter, Ashley, began working with Pamela while still a teenager. Her career uh, has involved from the illegal field in information technology to a partnership in a construction firm specializing in historical renovation. Uh, Her research has led to many areas, including past life regression, holistic healing, demonology, ghosts, mainstream and pagan religious beliefs, quantum physics, and ET paranormal, uh, ET phenomena and contact. Pamela and Ashley have presented their findings to dozens of professional and student groups, including the Rhine Research Center and Institute for Parapsychology at Duke University, Durham, North Carolina. They have appeared on the Discovery Channel, A&E, and the Travel Channel, and produced a 2014 documentary entitled Dead History. The team has appeared in a number of radio and TV engagements, as well as uh, numerous newspaper articles. They both live in the American Southeast. So Pamela and, Nan- or Pamela and Nance and Ashley Field, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. It's nice Thank to be you. here today. Well, it's uh, great to have you. And took you can... us a while to get you, but you're here today, so that's what counts. Exactly. So I guess we'll we'll, we'll start off uh, right at right at the very beginning. It, it seems that both of you were drawn to paranormal work uh, through personal experiences. So Pamela, let's begin with you. In 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 brief, what happened? Um, well, I pretty much had a lifetime of paranormal experiences, beginning as a, a young child with. Um, the typical ghostly uh, encounters that a lot of people experience as a child, unusual noises, um, you know, shadow figures, um, those types of things. Um, And quite a traumatic event around the age of 10 uh, where a couple of beings were in my room one night, uh, and I'm quite certain it was not a dream. And so just a, a lifetime of... Uh, encountering, you know, otherworldly phenomena, including uh, uh, out-of-body experiences, um, a near-death experience in my uh, early 30s, and um, 
just always um, sort of on the outside looking in at a normal world and not feeling um, at all normal. So um, that's pretty much been been the way of my life, um, experiencing unusual events. Okay, uh, Pam, I, I should say uh, Ashley. Um, mine started when I was seven. We moved to the house that actually the room Pam's sitting in is my old bedroom. And every night I would wake up and I would hear footsteps around the end of my bed. The lights would come on, go off. Doors would open and shut. The house was extremely active. Um, I was really fortunate because my parents um, encouraged me to read up, study up, and investigate what was going on around me. They didn't. They never discredited anything I said. Um, they actually both were believers. My father's still alive, but believers themselves. Um, so I started doing the research on reincarnation and hauntings and read Chariot of the Gods and all that stuff at a young age, and just found that I kind of grew up in it. So by the time I met Pam, um, we both kind of had shared experiences or experiences in the paranormal that drove us to this friendship that developed just over that alone. Um, so that's how it all started. <laughs> okay. When did you become family? And and you obviously um, developed interest in the paranormal separately. I'll answer that. So when I was seven, we lived up the street from Pam. And Pam lived in a house down the street, and I actually rode my bike down to her house and stood at her screen door, and that's how we met. Um, I don't know what drove me to do it, but that's how we met. And then when I was 27 years old, she married my father. Oh, okay. So um, <laughs> it took a while. <laughs> okay. We were friends a long time before that happened. So. All right. Before we, uh, we proceed with our questions, we have a couple of questions from listeners here. Uh, we have a very uh, loyal listener in, in Bogota, Colombia, Peter, and uh, he uh, asks some excellent questions every week. So, Ben, if you would do the honors. Sure thing. Okay. Uh, so, Peter uh, writes to us. Uh, please ask Pam and Ashley how uh, we can read about their recent work. Uh, the Spirit Hunter website is down. I couldn't find anything online uh, more recent than 2014. Right. We... Um Due to us both working full-time jobs and working at the paranormal full-time, we, we burned ourselves out uh, around 2016. And I was nearing the point of retirement at that point, and Ashley was looking into a new career. And so we dissolved that um, partnership and subsequently the website um, but, you know, the paranormal is something that gets in your blood, and we, we've never stopped talking about it, and we do have plans to hopefully, you know, gear back up again, um, maybe with a website and presentations and that type of thing once, you know, COVID kind of relaxes its grip on the world and we can get back out and investigate. Um, so currently, you know, unfortunately, we don't have an active website um, but we do have um, articles online um, and information if you just do a, a search on Spirit Hunters of the South or Paranormal Investigators, um, Pamela Nance or Ashley Field, they're, you know, they're 
links and uh, YouTube, uh, still a YouTube site, I think, right, Ashley? There is a YouTube site. It's under AS Field, F-I-E-L-D, and that is actually what I rolled everything into when we kind of went on our hiatus from working on this all the time. Okay, very good. Now, one of the interesting uh, aspects, uh, w- w- we had a conversation some months ago now before we uh, we booked you for the show, uh, and that was pretty much involving myself, was uh, that your theories and methods uh, seem very similar to ours, and you arrived at them um, independently, of course, as, as we did. Uh, th- they resemble the theories of Jacques Vallée and some of the early uh, pioneers, John Keel, etc. Uh, what brought you to the conclusion that ghosts in particular aren't always what they appear to be? Well, I think we realized that early on when we um, conducted our very first investigation. It was in a historic building, and we received some just really great um, um, EVP, electronic voice phenomena, that indicated um, these beings were active and they weren't coming through as trapped, you know, dead people. Um, so that kind of um, immediately um, piqued our curiosity and made us, you know, desire to learn more about these populations of people that are out there in these alternate timelines. Um, so I think by we formalized our group in about 2008, and I think by about 2010, we realized we were dealing with an interactive population um, that weren't deceased. Um, they were intelligent beings that wanted us to know about them. Um, they were very willing to open themselves up to us. And um, so that's kind of how we got onto this path of, of interacting with um, energy beings rather than deceased dead people. Yeah. Uh, Ashley? Um, you know, she talks about the deceased dead people and the idea that all of these voices that we were recording and this information we were getting was from people trapped here in the afterlife just seemed too overwhelming to be true. And it's hard to say that, you know, it comes down to we, we went in it kind of looking the same way everyone does, residual hauntings and all those things, and, you know, just trying to get information. And that lasted all of maybe one investigation. And then we started realizing <laughs> what we were dealing with and realized that it was interactive. And we we actually developed our methodology off of our first couple of investigations and sat down and really wrote out a, method, a methodology that worked for us because the information that we got didn't match up with what you see on TV and what you always hear in the mainstream paranormal investigative world. It just didn't work for us because it there was so much more to it. And, you know, we, as we continued through it and we read our methodology, then we started investigating more and reading more on quantum physics and started applying those theories and realizing that, there are things like the idea of a residual EVP makes and a, a residual haunting makes no sense if you apply quantum theory to it. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Um, 
So we just really started trying to progress through and look at it from a scientific point of view and add a, treat it as a science instead of what some people seem to treat it as. Well, you, you could be describing my, my first experiences in the 1970s as precisely the conclusions I came to and et cetera, uh, just as you said. Ben, uh, we have another question from Peter. Oh, of course we do. Uh, so Peter continues on, where it actually kind of takes us back to the, the topic of EVPs. Um, you seem to get a lot more EVPs than other investigators. What's the secret? Is your technique different? Um, yeah, we that that quite was quite fascinating to us in the beginning because we had friends who were also paranormal investigators. And if they came away with a half dozen EVPs from an investigation, they were over the moon. And whereas with Ashley and I, we found that, you know, we would easily come away with a hundred EVPs each uh, because she would run her recorder. I would run mine. Um, she would, you know, pick up things that I, I, I wouldn't. And so between the two of us, um, you know, hundreds of EVPs per investigation. And, and we asked that question. We even asked the spirits, you know, why, why, are, why do you come through to us? How are you able to come through? And received intelligent responses like they prep, they prepare to come through to us. But um, that those questions also led us to the quantum theory. What is it about us that stands out um, to these these energy beings um, and we theorize that perhaps we vibrate at a different frequency than most people um, maybe from being interested in this field for so long and and seeking ways to expand our consciousness through meditation and and hypnosis and past life regression that we've actually elevated our, our vibration to a different frequency and they can see us and hone in on us more easily, perhaps. Um, th- that's pretty much um, what we came up with, that it's a vibrational, energetic uh, oh, attraction. Yeah. I was interested in, in talking about your term energy beings. Uh, and when you look at it, we're all really electrical, so you could say that, that we're all energy beings in, in, in a broad sense of the term, certainly. Um, so uh, I sort of, sort of relate to what you're saying there. Uh, one of the things we always ask, we tend to be kind of skeptical um, about EVPs, and Ben is the sound uh, expert. He's uh, That's what his degree is in. And uh, so I'm wondering, Ben, um, when you have professional sound people, uh, radio, TV, etc., uh, they'll say they've never come up with anything Odd, although that's happened to us on our show. We've had odd things come in. When we were in CBS, there were all sorts of strange sounds and things like that. I mean, what say you on all the whole EVP uh, thing? I, I, I feel as if, um, well, I, I guess to preface the statement, there's not a lot that we know about it, right? You know, I, I think I think there's all sorts of naturally occurring phenomena that that could very well explain it, and then you have that kind of margin. Where you're not quite sure, um, you could dismiss some of it as pareidolia, essentially, like anything you see on on mainstream TV, right? Where 
you know, they're like, oh, did you hear that? And then they put a subtitle underneath something that just sounds like a gust of wind or it just goes like, huh. And it says, and it says something to the effect of "help me" or or something. So you you read that subtitle, you hear "ha," and you think, "Oh, it's saying help me." It's because your brain will interpret things that it doesn't understand, right? So one of the stories I always like to illustrate is when I was in college, I one of my one of my prerequisites um, when I when I finally got to real person college was. Um, yeah, I had to take a class called critical listening. And essentially the goal of the class was to understand mixing and mastering and being able to pick out very specific frequencies and say, oh, I'm going to turn that one down. And it's it, it was useful because, you know, I got a lot out of it that I didn't expect to, um, mostly the, the understanding of a, of a field called psychoacoustics which is essentially the understanding of how our brain interprets sound, right? So uh, one of the exercises we would do is we would, uh, my professor would put on um, a layer of pink noise, which is essentially all the harmonics you can hear in, in a sound, as opposed to white noise, which is just all the frequencies at once. Uh, pink noise is all the harmonies at once. And he would play a sine wave, you know, the simplest sound you can hear, like a little beep. And, you know, you would have to count out how many little beeps you hear. And it would be a very specific frequency, whether it was A440 or whatever. You would you would pick it out, and you would have to count how many times. And so my professor would say, okay, how many people heard six? And you raise your hand. How many people heard seven? And then he'd say, how many people heard eight? And, you know, I was the only one who heard eight. And I raised my hand, and he was like, ah, that's your brain tricking you because that's, you know, your brain thinks that that pattern needs to be completed by putting in that fourth sound so you think you hear it but you didn't it was your brain completing a pattern because our brains love patterns it's why we love the same four chord progression we hear in every pop song because our brains love patterns and we love to complete them because it's stimulating and so when it comes to evps right there's that trick of the brain where we try to make sense of it but then there's that sort of margin like i mentioned when i I prefaced that we're not entirely sure um, as as someone who who works in the field, I I I have I have heard my fair share of odd things, right? So like, you know, my my father's experience in our our case in Pennsylvania with a tone that that seemed to move around, I couldn't I couldn't explain it. I asked all the questions. Were were there was there a fridge door left open? Was there any issues with any appliances? You know, is there was there an amp left on from a, from a guitar or or something, right? You know, any any of those things because there's all sorts of stuff that can mess with um, you know g- cables and circuitry, right? Like uh, if anybody has ever played a musical instrument, uh, specifically anything that requires an amp, um, and you have a stereo unbalanced cable, you know, you can pick up you know FM frequencies and stuff. You know, because it it vibrates the strings of your guitar, gets picked up on your pickups, and then it comes through your amp, and you say, "Oh, hey, I can hear uh, whatever station from across town," because you're you're picking it up. So there's all sorts of things that can mess with it, and then there's that margin that I'm not sure how to explain, because the argument would be, if these are spirits or or energy beings, they they would need to disturb air molecules, right? Because that's how we talk with amplitude modulation. Right, because we we essentially have our vocal cords disturbing the air molecules around us, and that's how we create voices. And if there are no vocal cords, 
how does it disturb the air molecules, is my question. I guess that might be why it comes across as, as whispers and things like that. Well, let, let, let's make that a question to, uh, to, to Pam and Ashley. And, and I must say, you know, we're not criticizing your methods far from it. You're, you're two of the most refreshingly intelligent ghost researchers we've ever spoken with. No, but it's, and, it's the Socratic method, right? Yeah. You, you ask yeah, questions right. to get to the truth. So how, how, would you, um, how would you approach that question? Um, first off, can I play you something really fast? Sure. Can you tell me if you hear anything? Sure thing. You hear that? I can. I, I can too, yeah. Okay. That's one of many EVPs that came out of a house in Clemens, North Carolina, that would have been Civil War. Um, it was sat on the road that went to Salisbury. Um, so... Stoneman was the other general that was coming down the interior while Sherman was going down basically the coast heading to Savannah, and he came through there. That was one of many that kind of proved that we found a blockade that we never knew, that no one has ever documented. But we knew that Union troops had been there on that at that house by the things we got. The EVP I just played you is Halt aimed for his heart, and the other one that came from it... It's. I don't know how well you can hear it over my speakers. It's clearly a voice, yeah. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff we get. So we really, when we go through and review our audio, there's a lot of stuff that never makes it in because if it doesn't make enough sense and we can't really peg what it is, we don't use it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we, we, we look back at our... Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Ashley. But I like the idea that you, you're asking how the voices are coming through because you're moving air when you speak. So you're talking about a, like a physical medium stance at that point. Um, if you know anything about that, I'm not so sure I buy into all of it. But well, the argument, I guess, that's, that's been made is that, well, it's not disturbing the air molecules. It's interacting with the device itself, that it's, it's, it's picking up... You know, let's say um, uh, so, some something electronic, right? So, uh, if if it is indeed energy, it, it would interact with something that is like like equals like, right? So it would interact with the device, not the environment. But then I've got a bigger question that you can add on to that, then, because when we go into investigate a location, especially a historical location, which is some of my favorite stuff. We've gone in at this point. We've done the genealogy. We've done the historic research. So we're asking. We've we've got a list of questions based on the research we've done. So we're not going in blind. We know what we're asking. We know who we're, we should be talking to by the people that maybe occupied the site. We're doing all of these things, and we're getting intelligent responses. So that's where we started drawing the line. When you can ask a question and get an intelligent response and not something random. That takes it to a new level of trying to understand, and that's where the quantum physics of it all started to really take off. Mm-hmm. So well, okay, <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering if you've dealt with the same thing where you can carry on. I mean, we almost have intelligent conversations in some of our investigations, and that's how we reveal history that was unknown before. So I'm just wondering if you've had the same. 
interaction in your investigations? Uh, I have to give that a big yes. Uh, I never talked about it much or wrote about it until 2019 when my last book came out because I've always told people don't do the medium thing and then with the stuff that happened to me, if I report, it looked like I was doing the medium thing, right? So uh, <laughs> it was... Um, I have spoken with, um, oh, actually, we better take our break and we'll, we'll leave the suspense hanging until the end of the break. Yes. Uh, but you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Be right back with our great guests, Pam Nance and Ashley Field, so stick with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in the Blackstone River Valley. And it's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, two of our terrific guests today, uh, Pam Nance and Ashley Field. We're talking good old-fashioned, but not so old-fashioned ghost hunting. So uh, <clears throat> so just uh, to answer your question, uh, Ashley, um, yeah, I, I, I certainly have had very similar experiences. Um, in the book, I... You know, you get to a certain age, you don't care what people think, so I, I wrote it, and uh, there were a whole bunch of things. And I approached it in the chapter, What Ghosts Have to Say About God. Because with the, my theology background, people say, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm always being blamed for not uh, embracing their religious beliefs. And uh, secondly, they also think, well, you must believe this, 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 and this, and uh, about the afterlife and all this. Well, I haven't seen any of that. Uh, I have encountered people in parallel, what I believe are parallel realities. The first one, while I was while I was doing pastoral work at a mental hospital, so here I am, you know, sitting in a little room having conversations, and I was trying to keep my voice down because the last place you want to have them hear you talking to yourself is in a psychiatric ward, right? So uh, <clears throat> anyway, we, we, I got through that, and it was a guy. Here's what happened: there was because you're supposed to be the guest here, not me, but just very quickly, uh, that particular. Uh, hallway in St. Lawrence State Hospital in upstate New York was very strange. People didn't like working there. It was uh, really odd stuff. They thought, you know, I actually had the opinion that it was haunted. Well, a lady uh, who was one of the patients there, uh, more physically ill than anything else because it was a state hospital, she said, well, uh, she was a, a medium, and there was a man who was waiting in the hallway. His wife apparently was a patient. She was going to die, and he was going to take her home. Quote, I said, and you know, I, I was a pest in the seminary with my, my questions, and I was a pest in the paranormal to this day with my questions, and I said, I don't, I don't, that's not good enough. So I went and meditated just on a hunch, and much to my shock, I met a fellow named Gilbert, who was across the St. Lawrence River at the railroad station in Prescott, Ontario, waiting for his wife, and he was going to take her home, which he got home from Montreal on, on the, on the train. At the end of the conversation, I actually heard a diesel locomotive. <clears throat> and uh, so naturally, you know, if there was some kind of energy connection between those two sides of the river, not too hard to, to believe. And uh, I, I, this woman was picking that up, and she interpreted it in, in the good old classic 19th century spiritualist way. 
And all my experiences have been with people in parallel worlds, sometimes that might be considered the future to us, uh, which is why I always ask, and um, you know, uh, anybody who is a re- regression therapist, do you sometimes encounter subjects who's to tell, who give you a, a, a date in the future or some date you don't recognize or describe some world you don't recognize? So, Pam, I might ask you that. Um, well, we had an interesting um, EVP come through that sort of touches on that. Um, I asked who won World War II and received the response, Hitler. Yeah, I get that so, all the time, parallel all the timelines, alternate yeah. timelines, yeah. So, we, you know, that's the conclusion we came to, that, okay, in a parallel, parallel um, dimension or world, um, Hitler did win World War II. Um, so that's the, the first thing that comes to mind. Well, that's um, the quantum thing. I mean, in, in most interpretations, all possibilities, all outcomes really are out there somewhere in the multiverse, you know, somewhere somewhere. Ben, you had another question? Oh, well, you kind of you kind of beat me to it, but um I <laughs> That doesn't happen very often. Well, kind of. It's it's interesting because um you know, you you two work work a lot in the historic realm, which is which is act- it's in- it's it's interesting that you come at it with this approach because it's not typical, right? Typically it's like, "Oh, I'm going to go to to Valley Forge or I I'm I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, go to the uh oh jeez, I'm I'm forgetting all my favorite my my Famous Civil War sites. Well, th- these are just two exciting guests, and that's why we're doing so much talking. We shouldn't do that. We should let that. No, but you know. They, anyway, so the the question is is this right? Because I'm gonna I'm I'm going to appropriate this from Peter because he did have a third question we okay. didn't get to, but it's also something I'm wondering as well, which is when it comes to doing EVPs or any sort of investigation. You've already alluded to this a little bit. Are there differences, other historical differences you've encountered? Anything you know, just completely out of nowhere that that you've experienced when investigating you know a historic site or even a non-historic site the the first thing that comes to my mind we were in lexington kentucky uh, attending a convention and we were staying in a carriage house a historic um property and of course we carry our equipment with us wherever we go and before we left town that morning, we decided to conduct a short investigation. And upon review, rather than the typical EVPs that came through, it appeared they were investigating us. Ah. They were asking the same type questions that we ask. Um, so it, it really appeared as though there were people or beings on the other side conducting a paranormal investigation investigation of Ashley and I. Uh, who's investigating who? <laughs> well, that's the thing. We're exactly. constantly running into a quote-unquote ghost who think we're ghosts haunting them. A lot of times they're yeah, afraid. We've been, we've been told, you know, we we always ask, what do we look like to you? And they tell us, dead. Dead yeah. people. You look well, dead. Well, that's a backhanded compliment, I think. Yeah, ghost. Um, so, yeah. you know. My uh, favorite. Pam asked what we look like, and we got the reply, not pretty, dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we often find that they see us as we would see them across the membrane, as a physicist would say, of the parallel reality, which is charged with plasma. So you're going to look weird or, or distorted or glowing or something like that. So 
Um, okay, why, why don't we move? I, I want to get to one uh, listener question here before we continue. But this is sure. from uh, Michelle in Blackstone, Massachusetts. It's, it's kind of general, but I think uh, Pam and Ashley can can get into it. Sure thing. So Michelle writes to us. Uh, listening to your show for many years, this is the first time I'm writing in. Well, thank you. Uh, I was ghost hunting until I brought something home with me about ten years ago. Uh, I wish I heard your advice about not ghost hunting before that happened, uh, but I followed your advice and worked hard to make everything positive in my life and whatever it was left. My question is, why aren't more paranormal researchers using your ideas? I think they would get good results. Okay, well, it, we hear that they are, but I mean, uh, we're, Pam and Ashley are using similar ideas. And uh, so I, what comes from this is, have you ever found uh, a problem in people bringing something negative home, or more importantly, <laughs> something that seemed to be positive and turned out to be negative in a case? Um, we always get activity afterwards. That's pretty common. Um, I know because Pam and I live you know, states apart, I'd stay with her or she'd stay with me. And we'd always hear stuff the next day and things would happen, but nothing negative. But, you know, we kind of theorized that it was never our intent to encounter anything like that. It was always our intent just to gather information for scientific purposes. And I don't know if that made a difference or not, but we are big believers in, you know, if you look for it, you will find it. Right, right. Uh, one of the things that really annoys the heck out of us and, uh, is, is these, uh, provocative approaches to cases. Um, I've even heard the term theological provocation, which it was the war, Ed Lorraine Warren used that, although never with me. Um, I think it's like really dumb, uh, personally, and I think it's, it, it's, it doesn't further any sort of knowledge or, or positive communication. So, um, I don't know what what's your feeling on that? I mean, being provocative in order to supposedly stimulate phenomena. A bad idea. I yeah. mean, that's just and and it's kind of the easy way out. You know, people see that in the TV shows, you know, I'll provoke a spirit and get a response and instead of doing, you know, the work up front learning about the population that has inhabited the site um, and and asking questions directly to them. You know, we're all ready to, to talk about ourselves. Most people, you know, enjoy telling other folks what they do and what their interests are. And I, I think the same thing is applicable to the other side. And I, I really think that adds another reason to um, the number of EVPs that, that we walk away with. Uh, we resonate with that population um, and the questions that we ask. You know, we go in with this ethnographic uh, kind of approach wanting to learn about their, their daily life and the, the historical and cultural influences that affected them. Um, and many of these sites, you know, went through the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, a lot of trauma, a lot of, um, you know, death and loss and and they're very willing to to share their stories um uh information about like their their dietary components their the trade their occupation um even the the war i mean we've captured um some really great um evp of cannon fire and and musket fire and and also um 
songs uh, in the cookhouse that Ashley referenced on the um, that had the evidence of a blockade. We um, captured a, a, a complete song um, and learned afterwards from a professor of music at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington that it was a song um, sung primarily by uh, soldiers in the, um, um, was it the, which war was it, Ashley? The Mexican-American War. Hmm. Yeah. Those right. are the guys that, when they came back, they became officers in the Civil War because they had the experience. And it was a song that they would, they sang wow. about boots in Mexico and things like that. Yeah, uh, them hmm. boots ain't going to Mexico or something. And so we actually sent that audio clip to this professor, and he identified it as, as a popular song that was sang during That's the Mexican-American yeah. Um. Yeah. On the uh, one of the things too in, in your resume, and uh, this is when we wish we had more than an hour, but uh, are what we refer to as crossover phenomena. And, and I believe you, you know Kathleen Marden, I believe, right? Yes. I mean, from yes. our conversation previously, and uh, this is something that that got Kathleen and us together, and, and Denise Stoner as well. Uh, on the issue of um, you know people having one form of phenomenon w- w- or other, and then somehow uh, having uh, something that's not generally associated with it. you know that they think they're being abducted by aliens, and all of a sudden they have poltergeist activity or haunting activity in their homes. Um, can you tell us tell us a bit about your um, experience with crossover phenomena, things that that may have uh, you maybe started with ghosts and led you to UFOs or some other sort of, of phenomenon? Well, um, in the first few years of investigating, um, you know, the, the evidence was just so overwhelming that these were, you know, interactive beings. We began asking, you know, where are you? How do you come through? And rather than the historical um, feedback, we started getting um, EVPs that indicated uh, an ET presence, um, that they were coming through a portal or a wormhole. Um, and then we we decided, hey, we'll just try to find out what planet they live on. And, and so they began telling us about their planet um, and the name and, and the location as far as a stargate. And and at that point, we realized, okay, we've we've gone beyond just this historical um, timeline, possibly into uh, off-planet communication, um, and that led us to put together a presentation that overlapped the historical data with the quantum physics data. And we presented that in Atlanta in 2013 at DragonCon. And Stanton Friedman was in attendance um, at our presentation and really enjoyed the scientific approach and the quantum theory. And we had a nice visit with him afterwards. And he subsequently introduced us to Kathleen Martin because I think early on she experienced – poltergeist activity in her home after uh, the Betty and Barney Hill incident. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sort of was approaching that, I think, in the beginning, more in the paranormal realm. But 
of course, branched out into the ET area of study. And so he felt that she would be a good person to uh, communicate with, and we did. And we met with Kathleen and Denise Stoner um, in early or spring of 2015 to sort of showcase our methodology and some of our evidence. And we conducted an investigation at Denise's home um to communicate with her father-in-law and we actually picked up some really good information for her but during that the course of that visit um, Kathleen suggested that we might benefit from investigating a location where a known uh, abduction had occurred a UFO uh, ET abduction of an individual and that site is in North Carolina and was easy for Ashley and I to get to. So um, we visited um, down east uh, about mid-2015 and conducted our first uh, sort of ET um, investigation. Okay. Now, we have a question from Richard Eno. And how many Enos can there be, right? Yeah. In uh, Northern <laughs> California, who was a uh, cousin of ours and a guest co-host of the show. And this leads into something. It must be an Eno thing. I was just thinking of this very question. Uh, how many Enos does it take to run a talk show? Uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, I guess the answer is three. So Richard writes to us, uh, Do you ever have EVPs or hear voices that speak in languages you do not understand? Now, before you answer that, I have that all the time. They're, they're beings who are nonverbal. Uh, you, you encounter them at the intersect points and things like that. So, um, yeah, go ahead. I'd be interested in hearing whether you have the same, same experience. Yes. Um, we have some African dialect language that came out of a basement, not at Moon River. I live in Savannah, so not at Moon River, but um, down the block I had access to another building in another location. Um, we have French from the Hanover House, which is a plantation house that was re- relocated from the plantation belt outside of Charleston to Clemson's campus. Um, Pam, do you remember any more? Um, we also picked up African chanting out of the Cook House, um, where the blockade, the Union blockade, was set up. Um, and... So I guess the African chanting and the French Huguenot are the two that stand out. Yeah, that's and us. We, we, our ancestors were Huguenots, the Enos. Anyway, uh, whatever. We <laughs> did get, um, remember the really weird noise that we would get occasionally? And I, um, the way I can describe it the best, do you remember the movie Predator? And do you remember the clicking noise it made in the tree? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. We yeah. have yeah. two sites that we kept, and we kind of grouped them together, but we have that weird clicky noise from numerous sites we've investigated. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, we've had, uh, you know, all kinds of languages, some of which I didn't know, uh, forms of languages like Latin that took me three days to work out with, with the, in an attic in, in near Buffalo, New York, with, with a bear-like creature. I mean, you name it. It's, it seems to be out there. So here's here's the sixty four thousand dollar question. Anybody as old as me would recognize from an old TV show. Um, how do you know? How do we know that what is we're picking up on EVPs or whatever is producing it is not lying? That that it's really what it says it is. 
I don't think you always can because we have a whole run of um, I'm the devil, get out, things like that, um, that we just kind of categorized into one folder and find it kind of humorous. But, I, you know, the I'm the devil one's probably the funniest one we got because I, I highly doubt it. I highly, yeah. highly doubt it. <laughs> Well, we had uh, this one case in, in it was one of Ben's first cases starting in 05, and it was the uh, famous flap area case in central Connecticut that we're always talking about. Mm. And uh, the owner of the house where we started this case has uh, hours and hours and hours and hours over, over nearly 60 years of EVPs, electronic voice from now on, uh, uh, many of which seem to be a just simply historical uh Situations because the, the the house had been in 1793 a general store, and then became a private home, uh, and no other family has ever lived in this home. There's six generations of the family, and uh, that that was the start of our first f- flap area case, which which now covers about 330 square miles. But um, so uh, we um, we we take EVPs seriously, but kind of with a grain of salt. As, as we do any evidence, you know, fo- photos, things of that kind. Uh, so my next question, do you use photography a lot in your cases? Yes. Okay. We, we run um, video cameras and we use digital cameras as we investigate. And we're... I actually rip the video, the audio from the video, I actually rip it off separate it out and I analyze that as well okay because um, there were issues with that too maybe Uh, I remember in my early days they didn't have any digital uh, photographic media and uh, you'd use you know you'd be able to look at the negative and all this sort of thing photo labs could say maybe this is a reflection maybe not but there's really no way to tell exactly and then of course today with the orbs uh, I didn't we didn't get those as as much uh, with non-digital media as they do today and because uh, digital media will interpret and you could get dust or whatever so, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure you, you sort of take precautions to uh, avoid any sort of misinterpretation I would think I'm sure you do it at your level of work right we, we don't put a whole lot of stock into the orb thing because it can be dust or light anomalies yeah. and there's too many other factors that can come into play Um we have, uh, I'd say, about probably a handful of really good pieces of photographic evidence that clearly show, um, you know, full-body apparition that there's just no explaining away um, as far as being some type of camera anomaly or light, you know, interference. Um, the, these are actually figures. Uh, but... I'd say the bulk of our evidence is captured um, by EVP. Um, and, you know, we just have some really great stuff there. Okay. Well, I guess to kind of kind of wrap this all up with a, with, with a bow, um, you two have, have presented to dozens of professionals, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, student groups, you know, anything like that, you know, the Ryan Research Center, and all, all of those places. With all, all of your work, how has academia reacted to all of it? Really quite open, um, surprisingly enough. We 
you know, as you said, we presented um, on the campus of Duke University to a packed house. We were overwhelmed afterwards with questions and um, feedback, and we also did work on the campus of Clemson University. The faculty uh, and staff, you know, welcomed us and were very open to um, our methodology. Um, as far as like uh, non-academia but professional group would be Santee Cooper Utility Company, um, particularly in South Carolina. We investigated a couple of their historic pieces of property and had the board of directors at our presentations, which included, um, you know, parts of the, the governorship of South Carolina and um that's subsequently where we filmed our documentary at one of those locations. So, you know, professional people are, uh, have been very open to the scientific approach. I think they appreciate, um, you know, the science that, that we provided behind the evidence. Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. So you're going to become active again, and, and, and tell people, if you would, please, where they can find out more about you, uh, the YouTube channel, et cetera. Um, well, the YouTube channel is under my name, A.S. Field, and that's all we have right this second. We are actually working towards this. <laughs> Ashley, okay. is the Spirit Hunter U.S. Uh, YouTube channel still up and running? I don't think that's valid anymore. Okay. I, I just moved it over into my name when we went on hiatus. Well, uh, um, keep it posted. I, we'll give you some plugs. Yeah. When the yeah, time we'll is right. Yeah. Okay, uh, very we, good. Uh, all right, so um, I, I think we have covered all we can in one show. I think we're going to have Pam and Ashley back as soon as possible. Indeed. I'd like to get into a number. I know, of we have so many areas so we have so many areas, yet. and you've work, worked in so many areas. And just, uh, you know, congratulations on what you've accomplished and uh, for the open-minded approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, um, we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for having us. It was our pleasure. Oh, it was a great pleasure. We'd love to come back. Hey, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, hopefully it won't take as long as... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, good. So be okay. well. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay, Ben, we'll take away our announcements here. And sure thing. So uh, if I can find the correct page, and I did, uh, <laughs> organizers are forging bravely ahead uh, with plans for an in-person uh, New England Parafest on April 10th and 11th in Kittery, Maine. Uh, we plan to be there on both days, and we will do a live broadcast of this show from there on Sunday at noon. Uh, then we are scheduled to speak that afternoon at 3.15. Uh, other speakers will include Shane Sirway, of course, uh, Andy Kitt, Den- uh, Denise Stone, uh, or Dennis Stone. Dennis Stone. Dennis Stone. There we go. Now we're talking about you know, D- Denise different Stoner. Person. It's it's so, so many people. So no more Slavic as well. The Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, Kristen Evans, uh, Dave McCullough, Lynn Nickerson, Tom D'Agostino, and Paul Gillis. Uh, you can check out Facebook, uh, New England Parafest 2021. I never heard of Paul Gillis. I'll bet that's Nathaniel Gillis. Yeah, we gotta we gotta change that. Who writes these scripts? Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, the amazing Valerie Lofaso, an em- empathic medium who is also a UFO researcher, has joined our stable of co-authors for our new book, Behind the Paranormal: Three Uneasy Skies. Also contributing will be Shane Searway, a well-known guest co-host here, Alexander Petikoff as well. 
Uh, the book will also contain the best of our interviews over the years with the greatest researchers in the UFO field, one of whom came up today, Stanton Friedman, as well as some of our own experiences. Uh, look for the book released toward the end of this year. And you can check out our current books along with all of those of all of our co-hosts uh, at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with some of our 900-plus free recorded shows from our 12-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Now, after a long period of, uh, I suppose you could call it, technical issues with our website and attacks, apparently. Uh, we've reloaded recorded shows uh, into the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com back to 2009. One more year to go and a lot of special shows as well. Mm. Uh, there'll be over a 1,000 hours once we finally get it done, hopefully within the next few weeks. Uh, past shows back to late 2009 are also available on major podcast platforms, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, where you're listening to us now, some of you, and more. Uh, there are several links also to charities we have adopted on the show, including usacares.org, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, that's my favorite, uh, a Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great things for at-risk youth out there, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, uh, along with the Milk Fund here in northern Rhode Island. Now, mm. we know all the people personally who run these charities, and when you donate to them, it goes where it should. So uh, what's in store for next week, Ben? So next week, it'll be the last day of January, January 31st. Uh, we will take a look at some dramatic but little-known UFO events in Warwickshire, England uh, in, in the 1920s that local people actually thought were ghosts. Yeah, hey, you know, we're really keeping with the trend. Um, our guest will be uh, British police detective Richard Rokeby. Now, we're not going to be able to have him on Skype in the video. We'll just have some illustrations of his books because, <coughs> excuse me, being an active police detective, uh, his image cannot be shown. Mm, yes. So that's uh, going to be rather dramatic, but we will uh, just give you, the, you know, you're not going to get to see his pretty face. You're just going to see his pretty book. Hey, you know, we, that's, that's why, that's why we have, we have backups and, uh, and other things like images. Absolutely. Yes. And I had never heard of this case. And it's really quite dramatic. So I'm looking forward to this show. It's going to be really uh, just as exciting as today's, I'm sure. So we leave you today with a thought from that uh, 19th century American sweetheart, Ralph Waldo Emerson, sort of a cousin of ours, actually. Mm. Adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Yes. Yes, uh, indeed. Well, I guess, you know, when in doubt, be patient. Yeah. And really all Even when do. you're not in doubt, be patient. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.